disciples, and we could have had the two deacons up here as shepherds. We could have had Bill and Sherry up here as Joseph and Mary, and I don't know. Uh, we might have made Bill a little baby Jesus or something, but, you know, we could have done that. We could have done that, but we didn't. That's all right. Maybe next year, right? If you would, please turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 20, but this morning I'm going to read as we stand verse 10 through 14 of Luke chapter 2. So if you want to stand for the reading of God's word, I'm going to read verse 10 through 14, and then we'll have prayer. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray. Demi Father, we come to you this morning at the height of our Christmas time as we take a journey to the manger. Here we are. We've made it week by week, Sunday by Sunday, verse by verse. We've walked to the manger. And here we are today, Father. We've sang about all month about the Savior and his coming. And how you came to us, Father, because we weren't capable of coming to you, nor were we worthy to come to you. But you came. And you came as a little babe in a humble setting. You didn't come by YouTube announcement or X announcement or some cable pay-per-view. You came to a humble manger and your mother and father laid you in a feed trough. You set aside all your privileges that you might become like man to become a man but yet without sin and as the sinless one father then you died like a man they beat you they spat upon you they crucified you they cried to crucify you and you just looked at them and said father forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing and then father as your son gave his life the just for the unjust. You rose him from the dead victorious because he was worthy to overcome death, sin, hell, condemnation. And then the gospel just unfolded further to the whole world, Father, that whoever would call on him would be saved and no longer condemned. That's how much you loved us. So, Father, as we, as we think about this little, little birth of a little baby in a little town, to a small couple. We thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is message number four of the journey to the manger. Uh, This one uh, message is called the public revelation of the Savior. All the way up here, we've heard about the Savior. Someone's heard that Mary's going to have the baby and have the Savior, the Son of God, even Elizabeth. You know, remember John leaped in her womb and she leaped with joy, realizing what this was all about. And even Zacharias, 
uh, once he got his voice back, he was only happy about having John, but he proclaimed to those people, this is my son John. He's going to come before this other one. That's the Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to foretell him. And now here we are in this little town of Bethlehem, and there's a public revelation of the Savior. Now, from Genesis on, when it said, one will come from the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and bruise his heel, from that time forward, God began to reveal that there was a Savior coming, one that would come to redeem a people, one who would crush condemnation and sin and pride. And from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, Jesus is unfolded a little bit more all the time. And, of course, now we have God's full revelation called the Bible. And thank God we had men and women that were willing to die, men and women that were willing to suffer, men and women that were willing to, to study and, and to translate in our own language. You know, there was a day in the church history where a Latin Bible was chained to the pulpit here and only I knew Latin. And you didn't know any Latin. You were called the laity. You were called the ignorant masses. And you had to distrust whatever I said the Latin said. And then there was a man named Martin Luther who his eyes were opened. And, and one of the things he began to do was write a Bible in the language of his people, the German Bible, in the German language. And thank God we have people like Wycliffe that brought us the English Bible. And so, you know, no matter what translation you may have or that you're comfortable with, we have this English version. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I, I don't know much about Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek other than what little books I have to maybe kind of reference a few words here and there. And, and I'm not very good at English, but I can understand English, you know, and the conjunctions, you know, the conjunction, junction, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's real nice to have a Bible that we can read in our own language, maybe perhaps even the own vernacular that we use that's a good translation. And here we are with this full revelation. And in that full revelation is this story where God really begins to unfold who Jesus is and where he is. And, and he uses some humble shepherds uh, to reveal it to at first. And, you know, you think about we know from Genesis on God had a plan, right, for one to come and crush the head of the serpent and bruise his heel. We know that was God's plan from the beginning. Well, how does God unfold his plan? As we've, as we've been walking through it the last few weeks and this week, uh, I look at it this way, that God has his perfect will, perhaps in Micah chapter 2. The perfect will, black print on white paper, the Messiah is going to be born what? In Bethlehem, right? There's other references over there in First and Second Samuel where God has told David that Messiah is going to come through your throne. He's going to be on an eternal throne, this Messiah. That's God's perfect will. It's just black print on white paper. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. God's perfect will. But how does God work together all things for our good that love him and call according to his purpose? Well, he, he takes his perfect will, then he allows his permissive will because you know what? Joseph and Mary were both of the lineage of David. If we were to go back to Matthew where it's got the lineage of both of them, both of them the lineage of David. But how did, he, how did God get Mary in the same town of Galilee that Joseph is to work out that they would be betrothed and therefore have the Messiah, right? God is allowing his permissive will because from Bethlehem on and David, families went here, families went there, families lived over there. And God was allowing his permissive will to, to work out and then working together in his providential will to bring them together to be betrothed 
And then in his providential will, once they were betrothed in Galilee, there she was, conceived by the Son of God, right? Conceived to have the Son of God. But how is he going to get them to Bethlehem? Because his perfect will said he's going to be born, born, in, born in Bethlehem. Well, providentially, he moved in the heart of a king. The Bible says in Proverbs 21:1, God moves in the hearts of kings like he moves the waters of the rivers. He moved in a king. Now, whether or not he moved in this, this king's heart because the king wanted to be kind of prideful about how big his kingdom was, or maybe the king just wanted to organize his kingdom, but God providentially moved in this man's heart through permissive will and perfect will. He providentially willed things so that he's decreed that they would have to go to Bethlehem and the Savior was born there. That's how God works out his plan. That When we read Romans chapter 8, verse 28, how he works all things for our good, he uses his perfect will, he allows the permissive will, and he moves in his providence will to carry out his plan. His will be done, not ours. Amen? His will be done on earth as it's already established in heaven, his perfect will. That's what we've seen these last three weeks to today. We've seen God do perfect things, permissive things, and providential things to bring it here. And we see the public revelation of the Savior. In verse 1 through 3, I want you to see the providence of God intervenes for his will. The providence of God intervenes for his will. And we've already kind of made mention to it. Look at verse 1 through 3 of chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, and by the way, in that day, they were whatever Caesar Augustus was over was known as the whole world. I mean, they were over the whole world. And it went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Y'all know we have census every, 20, every 10 years, right? Or is it 10 years? We do a census, and of course, we pay taxes and all kinds of stuff. So trust me, they know where we live. Should be registered. Verse 2, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all, all the world, all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. That is the city of their lineage. So the first thing we see, as I mentioned, made mention to before in God's providential will, how is going to get this, this little young lady and this young man that were, that she was conceived to have the Son of God, how is he going to get them to not have that baby in Galilee? Because that's where they were going to have it. That's where they were from. That's where they grew up. That's where they were betrothed. They were going to get married there after the baby was conceived. But how did God get them to Bethlehem? Micah chapter 2. Well, it came to pass, it says. It just, just seemed to come to pass. The Bible says, it just seemed that at a particular time, the king was motivated to say, hmm, whether, like he said, like I said, whether it was like, I want to see how big my kingdom is out of pride, or maybe he was just saying, I would like to know who else in my kingdom because I care about them, and I'd like to know. I'd just like to have an inventory. We don't know if it's pride or if it's just practicality. But it just come to pass. It came to pass in God's timing. It came to pass according to God's perfect will. It came to pass by God's providential hand. It came to pass, and as it came to pass by God's providential hand, it came by a man, by a king. God used a pagan, non-believing king to say, hmm, 
I think all my people, this would be a good idea, they ought to go back to the house of their lineage and register. The house, not just register, right? But register in the city of where their lineage is from. It just came to pass because it was God's timing. And it came by a man, a king, because God influenced. God moved in his hearts like he moves the waters of the river. The providence of God intervenes for his will. And trust me, what we're learning here about this perfect will, this permissive will, this providential will, how God carries out his plan, not my plan, not your plan, his plan, his purpose, because we're called what? to his purpose, to his, his reasoning, his way, his agenda, if we want to use a more modern word. The reason that is important is because that's how God works. It's one thing to say, the Bible says this, that, and the other. That is the will of God. But to carry out his will, he has ways of carrying out, making sure his will is accomplished, what he has decreed to happen. What we're seeing here is a beautiful picture of not only the will of God, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, because that's what the Bible said he was going to be born, right? Of the lineage of David. We're seeing the ways of God. Many times you'll hear me say something that God was doing somewhere in his secret councils, and that's what I'm talking about. He's moving over here. He's moving over there. And the longer I talk to some of you, it blows my mind that I'm even here. And I've told you that over and over again. You knew the guy that led me to the Lord. You were at my first church. When I went to pray with Linda about two weeks ago, Miss Linda Saylor, I had been there back in February of 2021 doing Bible studies for almost nine months. And I would always go to these people and shake their hands. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And I get to Miss Linda. She said, pray for my church, Calvary Baptist. We're looking for a pastor. So in February 19, uh, 2021, I'm praying for you all, not knowing who you all are. Not knowing that I'm going to stand up here and say what I just said. God moves. Mysterious ways, however you want to say it. But he moves providentially. And he brings things together. Because he's working out all things for our good. Because we love him and according to his purpose. His plan. What he wants. That's why when Jesus taught us once again in that Lord's Prayer as we call it. Or the Disciples Prayer. We say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, how it's already established in heaven. However you want it, we want it that way here. And that's why when we come here, we want to make this experience of worship a little bit like what it's going to be in heaven. You know, where God's central, that Christ is supreme, that we're subservient to him, that he is king. And here in the providence of God, he intervenes for his will. He, he makes sure it comes to pass. But yet he makes sure it comes through a man. Because God moves and God influences. You know why? Because he is a sovereign God. He does what he wants, when he wants, with whomever he wants, for whatever reason, he wants. And what we do as we like the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, is it this cup? Could it be this cup? But nonetheless, Father, your will be done, not mine. That was the Son of God praying that way. Knowing that the answer was, you're going to have to die, Jesus. 
you're going to have to suffer. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be betrayed. He knew what pain he was going to walk through. Therefore, the Bible says, out of joy, he carried the cross. He went to the cross. You know why he did that? Because he knew the outcome. He knew there was resurrection coming. And sometimes when things unfold in our lives and we've got to carry that cross if we're going to follow him, we've got to deny ourselves if we're going to follow him, it is painful. It is stressful. But in the end, when we finally look back, we say, man, Surely goodness and mercy has been with me all the days of my life. Because the Lord is my shepherd and I will dwell with the house of the Lord forever. The providence of God intervenes for his will. And, and, and I'm telling you, the reason that's the first point is because that's the main point. Out of everything we're going to talk about, God providentially here, just like God providentially in your life. He moves he does things that we don't deserve. He does things we don't understand. But when the light comes on, when our eyes are open to it, either here or there, we're going to go, oh, he was working out all things for my good when I didn't deserve it. And he did it because I love him. And I love him because he loved me first. Oh, and he did it for his purpose, not mine, for his glory. The second thing we see is not only the providence of God intervenes for his will, but the promise of God guides his will. Look at verse 4 and 5, the promise of God. And that is the promise that the Messiah would not only be of the lineage of David that we could find out in the scriptures, but that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, proving that he has lineage to David. And as I said, maybe some Christmas time we'll go back to Matthew and we'll go through all that lineage. And I know it sounds weird, we will, but I've done it before on a Christmas message, going through all the lineage and show how through, through Joseph and both Mary, Jesus is related of the lineage of David. But the promise of God, that is the promise that it would be of David, eternal throne, and in, and in Bethlehem, the promise of God guides his will. Look at verse 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee. See, they were in Galilee, but what did they do? out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, wife who was with child. In verse 4 and 5, God's promise that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David to have an eternal throne, and that he would be born in Bethlehem, where David was born, came to pass by the promise of God. The promise of God, his perfect will, guided his will through permissiveness and through, and through providential, providential moving. The promise of God guided out his will. He was of the lineage of David, and he was from the city of David. God joined this couple together in Galilee out of all things. Providentially, it was Mary and Joseph. He put them together and joined them to be betrothed. God was the one that joined those couples together. And God chose the place that they would go. Over the years, Karen and I have lived in Owasso and sold our house that we would have had paid off in five years, sold it to move to western Kentucky, thinking that would be the last place I would ever be able to pastor and I would be able to keep my wife at home. 
And within six months, it was a reality there in western Kentucky. I wasn't going to be able to keep my wife home, let alone maybe keep my church because Baptist dandruff hit the fan. I'm telling you, they just did not like someone preaching God's word, loving on people, and people start coming that were outside of their little comfort zone. Well, when that happened, then we moved back to Owasso in a rent house, and then we moved to Inola in a parsonage so I could take a church there by vocational. I'm a computer-aided drafter, and my wife was an accountant, and we thought, well, that's where we're going to stay for a pastor. And in nine months, no, it didn't happen. So over a two-and-a-half-year period, my one-year, my not only one-year-old one son had been in five different houses, my two kids had been in four different schools, and I sat down in the living room of that parson. I said, all right, Josh, you're eighth grade. Faith, you're first grade. Where do you want to live? Where do you want to live? Daddy ain't going to take you around anywhere more. I said, I will find a way to minister wherever you want me to live. If you want to move back to Kentucky, you want to live in Owasso by a, 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 a Nana and Papa, whatever you want to do. And Josh said, I want to play basketball for Clyde Barkley. Now, Clyde Barkley's still there after 43 years. He's old furniture, but he's a good coach. So we got a house that February of 2002 and we've been there ever since but by that time I'm thinking hmm was I supposed to go to Kentucky was I supposed to come down I started second guessing myself as if there's more than one contingency and God revealed to me by the time I got to church on Wagner and I would commute 30 miles every day to be full-time pastor during that time as we would walk through the book of Genesis I saw how God works God's ways in the nation Israel and with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and through Adam and Eve and through Noah, I thought, hey, I was exactly where we needed to be. And everything that happened was going to happen to bring me to a place to where I'm at today. And even the church in Wagner, they got to fighting amongst themselves. Well, by 2006, I, I was like, I got to get a full-time job. They can't afford me full-time. And that's when I thought, well, I'll get the phone book out, look for hospice, hospice chaplain. You're hiring full-time, you're hiring part-time, and I got a hospice job. But hospice was a godsend because through all that grief, through all that change, through all that pain, I could sit there and kneel at, kneel at your mother's wheelchair, or I could go to your father's bed as he died of cancer. And I understood something about what they were doing, letting go of independence, letting go of your parents, in God's providence, you see, he was preparing me for what I would do for the next 17 years. And all that said, God's promise guided his will to bring about this lineage of David, to bring him to the place because it is God that joined them together as a couple, and it was God that chose the place just like he chose where I would go. I thought it was just a door open. Well, guess who opened the door? And guess at what time God shut the door. I was learning to trust a providential sovereign God that I preached. But now I was living it out. One time Karen said, do not preach on the book of Job. I said, why? She goes, we just live out everything you preach. I said, well, the good news is the book of Job turns out pretty good except for you. No, I just joke her. That's about the time she said, I paid for the life insurance, so be careful. Hey, yes, ma'am. But, um, but, you know, the more you read your Bible, the more you're familiar with it, you do see things that are uh, familiar or similar to what you're going through. And it may be more trivial on our side compared to Job, but you see it. And you also see a sovereign God working in your life and in my life. We see it in Joseph and Mary's life. 
The providence of God intervenes his will. The promise of God guides his will. Verse 6 and 7, the prophecy of God solidifies his will. The prophecy of God solidifies his will. That is the prophecy like in Micah 2 that says, that one, that chosen one, will be born in Bethlehem. Like in Isaiah chapter 9, he will be of the lineage of David. The prophecy of God solidifies his will. Look at verse 6 and 7. So it was. Now listen, if someone's really prophesying or speaking the message of God, it is. It ain't going to be or maybe, it is. So it was. So it was that while they were there, well, how did they get there? God providentially put them there, didn't he? Through perfect will, permissive will, and providential will. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So as this prophecy of God solidifies his will, once again, it is at the right time in the right circumstance. You say, now how's... How's a little feed trough the right circumstance? Well, he was going to be born in such a way that nobody would have thought that he's the son of God, right? As I said before in my prayer, I think lots of times, uh, you know, we're going to have, what, an election next November, you know, and someone's going to become president and vice president and I'm going to maybe some Senate and things. And, and of course, I understand it. It's all about politics. They've got to stand up and do their stump speech and then when they win, they've got to tell you how great they're going to be and how they're going to unify everybody. And that's all fine because that's man, right? But not God. God says, no, when I send my son, just as I prophesied, he'll not only be in Bethlehem, he'll not only be of the lineage of David to have an eternal throne, but he's going to come in humble means. He's going to come in such humble means that when somebody sees that little baby, they're not going to say, oh, that's the son of God. You know, he's got a, he's got a halo over his head. And I know we paint those pictures. And that's all fine because we're, we're trying to, bring attention to Jesus, but in reality on that day, it was just the right circumstance, the right time. Once again, it came to pass, and the time was complete. It was ready. It was perfect, and the baby was born. God timed it all, and God put it all together. Now listen, if he did that for Jesus, and you know Jesus, and you're his brother and his sister, do you not think God can put it all together for you? Absolutely. Sometimes we don't think he is. Sometimes we're pulling what little hair pastors got out that he gave himself a haircut the other day out, and, and we just were like, I, there were times in ministry. I said, I don't want to minister no more. And then I would go back to the word of God. I would go back to him and I'd begin to sing and say, oh, no. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. This is what God has for me. Well, this is what he had for Jesus. A completed time. And he put it together in the right circumstance. The prophecy of God solidifies his will. Verse 8 through 14, the proclamation of God invites his will. Invites his will. The proclamation of God invites his will. Verse 8 through 14. Now, there was in the same country, in other words, while this was happening over there, 
in that same country, in that same area. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. And by the way, back then it probably would have been females that were shepherds because they were not only the shepherds was a lowly job, but obviously back then because of the, the way culture was, women were probably less than second class along with kids, so they were kind of given those little low-class jobs. It could have been men. I don't know. I know usually when we have a pageant, it's always two little boys, but, but I've seen a lot of pictures in nursing homes. It'll show a shepherd girl, and I'm like, yeah, lowly woman. But anyways, they were shepherds taking care of sheep, and they were taking care of their flock that night. Verse 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be what? To all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. In other words, this is how you'll know it's that baby. You will find that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a feed trough, by the way, just kind of swept out and then put baby Jesus in there with maybe some hay or swaddling clothes. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This proclamation of God invited his will. What was his will? The Savior has come. He has come for all people. And, and if you come, this is how you recognize him. And you need to come to him and worship him. This proclamation invited the idea that God had revealed who his Savior was. And God had revealed what the gospel was. That this one came to save his people from their sins. This proclamation where God invites his will says, here's the Christ. Here's the Christ and here's the purpose. When I was growing up in church, I was always told, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And, get, and trust me, that is the truth. God loves me, right? But as a young kid, I just thought about the feeling of love because I knew my mama loved me, my daddy loved me, my sister loved me most of the time when I wasn't pestering her. But we loved each other. I just thought about that feeling of love. But standing on a north side of Central Baptist Church at Owasso, it dawned on me. He didn't just send his son to die on a cross for a bunch of sinners. Oh, he died on the cross for my sin. I'm in trouble. But because someone told me how much God loved me and what I must do with that, I knew exactly what to do. And I grabbed my five-foot friend by the hand, and he said, what is it? I said, man, I need to get saved. And the moment I stepped out of that aisle, I'm telling you, joy, peace. This proclamation, once it is revealed, this is the Christ. This is his purpose. Once God opens the eyes of a sinner and says, this is who he is, this is why he came. In that invitation, it is effectual, and it draws sinners, and it opens their eyes to, to come to the will of God, and that is to repent and believe to the Savior, Jesus the Christ. And in that gospel, he says, here's the Christ, here's his purpose. So that was the proclamation of God that invites his will, that is that men would be saved through Jesus Christ and him alone. 
Then verse 15 and 16, the persuasion of God draws his will. Look at verse 15 and 16. His persuasion draws. Because he said, this is the Christ. This is his purpose to bring goodwill toward all men. And it's to all people. This is what it'll look like. Look at this persuasion, how that persuades them and draws them to his will. Look at verse 15 and 16. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. They had been revealed to them through this proclamation. They were invited that there's, gonna, there's a baby. He's in swaddling clothes. He's come for good tiding and peace toward men. And that persuaded them and drew them to say, let's go. We know what he's going to look like. We know where he's located. And God has revealed to us who he is. Let's go. They went with haste. God made Christ known. They said, he's made this known to us. God makes Christ known. And through this gospel, God makes Christ accessible. Anytime a gospel that preaches Jesus Christ as the truth, the way, and the life, and we don't make it seem like he's accessible, that it's not the gospel. You say, well, how do we tell sinners that he's accessible? Well, they're sinners. Therefore, they have a great need to come to the Savior. Therefore, it must be accessible, and God wants to reconcile them, make them friends with God. Because they're now their enemies. We, we preach a gospel that says Jesus is not just so holy that he died on the cross for your sins. But he died on the cross for your sins that whoever calls on him will be saved. He's accessible. So in this persuasion, God made Christ known and God made Christ accessible. Because these shepherds went with haste knowing exactly what they needed to know. That God had revealed to them and they came to Jesus. God awakens men and God leads men. You ever think it's interesting why the Lord says he's the shepherd and we're sheep? Now, my grandfather had a bunch of cattle. And I always loved standing on the back of that little boxed, uh, little F-150 he bought used and throwing range cubes and kicking out hay because I was a little city boy. That was fun. Never thought about it until the Rowdy's death. I was like, Grandpa did this every day. And an outhouse and everything. But it was fun for me. But one thing I noticed is my grandfather, for these cows to come eat the hay and the range cubes, sometimes he had to kind of drive behind them to get them to kind of move for where he could. You know, he had to kind of drive them like a cattle drive, right? So it's interesting that it doesn't say God is the ramrod. You know, whoosh, you know, yeah, little doggies. No, instead he's a shepherd who leads, leads all the way. And there have been times that I would sit at the bedside of somebody that's dying of cancer, dying of COPD or whatever it is, they're dying. And I would remind them that they're not alone, that God was walking with them even there. He was leading them all the way. And that gave them comfort to know that they weren't alone, not only because I was maybe there or someone else was there, a loved one was there, but that God was leading all the way. In other words, you didn't catch God by surprise. He, he's leading you through this valley of the shell of death. He's leading you before your enemies as, 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 a, as a table of victory. He's leading you. 
as your shepherd and you're his sheep. Now, I know we don't like to think about that, but the shepherd sometimes leads you in those dark valleys. He leads you before your enemies, but he leads. And it says here that God not only persuaded them by awakening their their understanding, their spiritual understanding to know, oh, that's what he said. He's made known to us. He led them to go and come to Jesus. And last but not least, the persuasion of God draws his will. Well, listen, in verse 17 through 20, the pleasure of God spreads his will. The pleasure of God spreads his will. Look at verse 17 through 20. Now, when they had seen him, That means they went, they saw him. They made widely known the same which was told to them concerning this child. In other words, they said, look, there were some angels who said, glory to God in heaven and peace and goodwill toward men. They said it. They were right before us. They made it widely known. There was no fear. There was no cowardness. There was no fear of reproach. And it says, when they made that widely known, which was told them concerning the child, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds, but Mary kept or pondered all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. In other words, it it was true. The pleasure of God in this story spreads his will. How does he do that? His coming, as they come to see him, his coming, that this one that came is for good tidings and peace toward men, his coming was told openly. They came and saw that baby, and whoever was around them said, guess what, guys? We were out in a field, and this is what happened, and this is that baby. His coming was widely and openly told and his coming as it was told was marveling and it was, it, it was, it was cherished. On one hand, those around him just said, wow, what did, what did they just say? That is amazing that the Savior is here for the mother, though she cherished it this way. Wow. When Gabriel came to see me and told me that, it's not that I didn't believe, but It's manifested before my very eyes now. And they have confirmed, along with my cousin Elizabeth, along with Zacharias, they have confirmed she cherished that in her heart to know that she carried the Son of God. The pleasure of God spreads his will because his coming is told, his coming is cherished. And this is what they were saying. Christ is to be known and Christ is to be in Embraced. The people that marveled now knew. The Mary that pondered embraced. The public revelation of the Savior in this story is number one, worked out. Worked out to come to pass. It is worked out and made known to fulfill his pleasure to come to man who cannot come to God but instead know that they have a need to come to God and that Jesus Christ is the only way. This public revelation of the Savior unfolded by God's working out, revealing things, opening eyes, speaking to individuals, 
affirming other individuals for the very purpose that man would come to the very one that they need to have and know that they might be saved, that they might have peace and goodwill from God. What does this mean to a believer? Well, as a believer, as a believer in this message, we must embrace God's will. And we must embrace God's will that he will unfold his way. As he, unfolds, uh, as he unfolds his pleasure and his purpose, we ought to be a people to know that in God's timing, the Christ came to us. In God's circumstances, the Christ came to Bethlehem. In God's way, the Christ came in humble means. In God's plan, Christ came to please and fulfill God's purpose to be a redeemer. So until us as a Christian deny ourselves, as Jesus said, pick up our cross and follow him, as Jesus said, and until us as Christians run the race that God has set before us, not pick out our own race, until we do that before him and before each other, we will not be a Christian that will understand how God works. Instead, we will be a Christian that will be confused at times. How is, what is God doing? There were times between Kentucky and the church at Inola, I was second-guessing myself because I didn't understand the sovereign providence of God. There is no contingencies. There's, he permits things because I made some bad choices during those times. Trust me. And there were times I was very angry and treated my family very disrespectfully. And I had to humble myself, and I had to repent of my sin, and I had to go to my wife and my children and say, I am sorry. I'm just confused. But once I realized it's all about God's timing, the circumstances that he chooses, the way he wants you to get there, and it's his plan, not my plan, when I understood, Steve, you've got to start denying yourself what you want. You ain't going to be a superstar. You're not going to fill up stadiums like you thought you were when you first started preaching. You thought you were going to be Billy Graham and Jimmy Swaggart rolled up in one and play a banjo or something. But you've got to deny yourself. And you've got to pick up the cross that I want you to carry. And you're going to have to run the race that I set before you, not the one you want. And when that happened, I began to understand what good for me meant. Good for me was whatever his purpose was, whatever he wanted for me and my family. And listen, there are times I look back and think, oh, my gosh, look at all that. And I think my kids will never go to church. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Every one of them loved the Lord because we learned those lessons together. And I taught them what I was learning, and then therefore I was apologizing. So we as Christians must ultimately surrender to his will, not ours. Because listen, I heard a preacher say it one this time one time, he who invents the game and the rules owns the game, right? Now, I know this is not a game, but you know what I'm saying? We may think, oh, I'll just move my little pawn over there and God says, check. I'll just move this little, check. Pretty soon I'm like, okay, I think I'll just sit back and let him play chess for me, for lack of words to do those things providentially, to allow those things permissively and to look to his perfect will. And yeah, I'm going to make choices. I've got to move a few things that he may tell me, but until he tells me to move it, 
I don't move it. And, and pretty soon there's going to come a day when I cross that river. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what he has done. But when I cross over that river, as we would say, I'm going to stand in his presence, judged in Jesus Christ. And he's going to say, welcome to my kingdom, thy good and faithful servant. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he has done. So I've learned in almost 37 years of ministry, surrender. Surrender to the worst if that's what God wants. Surrender to the best if that's what God wants. Because listen, if that's what God wants, it's the best. And that's how he's going to work it out, for my good. And he's going to define what good means. What does this mean to a non-believer? Someone who has never turned to Christ for the cleansing of their sins. What does this mean to a a non-believer? Well, listen, as a non-believer, just like a believer, you can't come to God on your time. You can't come to God off your start. Like, if this happens and this happens, then I'll do that. No. I mean, you can make your plans all you want to, but you're not going to come to God on your time, your circumstances, your way, or based off how you planned it out. In other words, you don't need to cleanse yourself or quit this or quit that to come to God. You can't do that. God has already sent his son as the one and only sacrifice for sin, and he has died once and for all. God's already set it into place. He sent his son to die for our sins. He gave us the church as a voice, a united voice, to give clearly and consistently and compassionately this gospel. And God has given you, lost person, a Bible to read it for yourself. We live in America. Okay, you can go to Wally World and get a Bible. It may not be the version you want or the translate, but you can get a Bible just about anywhere. I have a little red Gideon's New Testament Psalms and Proverbs that I carry in my truck all the time because you never know if I don't if I don't have my preacher bag. I got that little Bible. But I'm gonna tell you how I got that little Gideon's red. You know, usually to give that around fifth grade, right? This is where I found it. I found it in a used bookstore in Claremore. And I thought, and it was clean, no writing in it, no torn pages, and I thought, wow, and it said $1.95. I thought, well, I could afford $1.95 because they don't even charge tax at that store, but I opened up that little Gideon's New Testament Psalms and Proverbs, and you know what it said on the inside? Not to be sold. I thought, hey, I may have made me a deal here. So I walk up there, and I, she goes, that'll be $1.95. I said, no, ma'am. I said, you need to read the inside of that book on the other side of that price tag. I said, I said, this is not to be sold. I said, the Gideon, someone already paid for this. I said, if you don't give it to me free, I said, I know the chaplain of the Rogers County Gideons. I said, I'll tell on you. And she handed me that little Bible. And I've got it all marked up. I would use it for funerals, maybe a graveside or something. I use that Bible a lot, especially when I'm in tight quarters or something like that. But listen, lost person, God's already sent his son, and he's died once and for all. God has given the church to you to tell you that it is true that we once were lost and now we're found. That he's the only way. We're not perfect outside of him, but we love you. And we care about you as a lost person. We don't want you to not only just go to the flames of hell type story. We just don't want you to suffer in this life without knowing God. Because listen, you're going to suffer. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you love me, the world will hate you. That's a promise from God. He says, you're going to suffer for my sake. 
And until you, we waken up the American church to that idea, not that we're looking for suffering, not that we're looking for persecution, but listen, it's going to come. It's already here. If you don't believe it, just watch our culture. And a lost person needs to know that. If they come to Jesus, they're going to be hated by some people, or at least the culture. They're going to suffer things, but they're not going to suffer alone, and they're not going to stand alone. Because God is with them, and the church is with them. And I pray that we, build, that we allow God to build a church here, that if, that if tomorrow, next Sunday, I'm standing here, and they bust open the doors, and they handcuff me, that one of my deacons stand up here and say, all right, turn your Bibles too. And they handcuff him, the next deacon gets up here, and the next deacon... And pretty soon the little Chloe will stand up here and just say, joy to the world. And they handcuff her. Because we live in a wicked world. We live in a great country that was founded on freedom and biblical principles. Thank God. We still have freedom. Did you know you still have freedom of speech? I don't care what the internet says or whatever they're saying. That's just, that's, uh, that's talking heads. The Constitution has not changed. And even if it does, this will not. And you go into all the world and you speak like the shepherds. You speak of what you've seen and heard and knew to be true. They didn't know the results of that, but in that moment, people marveled. And then little Mary just pondered in her heart. Lost person, God has sent his son God has given you the church for clarity. And God has given you the Bible for your own reading. So as a lost person, if God is tugging on you, if God is leading you today, come to Christ. How do I do that, Brother Steve? The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You come to him as you are. You come to the foot of the cross and say, God, here's my sins. That's all I have. And you admit that you're a sinner. And at that moment that God moves in your heart, that you finally realize you are a sinner, deserve to be condemned, he will declare you righteous through Jesus Christ. And he'll deposit within you through the Holy Spirit to desire what is right. And you'll begin to change just like the church is. That's what a lost person needs to do. Cry out to God. Because listen, America, he is your only hope. Not a hope and a wish. Not a hope so. He is your only eternal hope that based off the promise of God that whoever calls on him will be saved. So as Ken and the ladies come forward for the time of invitation, this will be a time that if you are lost... If God has opened your eyes that you have not come to Christ, you are, you do know you're condemned, this is a time you can either come to me or you can get on your knees right where you're at. You can grab anybody you want to and say, I need to pray. I need Jesus. The night I finally got around to coming down the aisle, the preacher said this, and the preacher didn't know me, and I had every excuse there could have in the book, standing back there next to my friend, well, if I go up there, this will happen. If I go up there, they'll think this. And pretty soon, the preacher, not knowing that I'm saying that back there, he says, if for some reason you can't come up by yourself, grab a friend by the hand, and I had no more excuses. My friend had brought me from two blocks away. He picked me up in my apartment and took me to church. And I said, Bruce, I need to get up there. So whatever your need is as a lost person, whatever you got to do to get up here or come to God, please do that. 
If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, may we surrender to God's perfect will, God's permissive will, where we make decisions and do things because we're not robots, and, 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 and submit and trust and depend on God pulling it all together through his providential will. Because that's, for lack of words, that's the magic. It's one to say, one thing to say, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. That's the perfect will, right? But yet sometimes you may lie and I may steal. But in God's providence, he paid for that, didn't he? And if we're Christians, he leads us to say, hey, I, I stole, I lied. He leads us to repentance. God works out his plan, his way, every time. Hymn of invitation. Page 91, if you'll stand, please, for the hymn of invitation. If you're a Christian here today, maybe perhaps right there where you're at, you need to surrender to what God may be doing in your life or the church life or your family's life. It's not always easy. I still miss my G.I. Joey. I haven't heard anything from him since July, but I know he's okay. Number one, because we watch his, his money account. He's buying things at the PX in Djibouti, Africa. But another reason I know is because I know he knows God. And even if I didn't know that, I know he's okay. It's scary. But that's called life, isn't it? You come. You come, whatever your need is. And I should dwell in the house of... Brother Jay Baswell was our pastor, and he would lead us in that song. And I just want to lead you in one little song. You just sing it with me if you know it. And then we're going to dismiss for our Christmas time. I want to thank you for... Um, it's been a glorious four Sundays already. Now, next Sunday is the 31st. We only have that Sunday school morning service. That Sunday morning, I will be giving the, the state of the church and the church direction address. Okay, and so you say, well, how do you know the state of the church? Listen, I, I've been praying, and I know what the Bible says, and I know I've been talking, I've been listening. I'll give you a good report on the state of the church, but also a direction for the church. That's what I'm going to do next Sunday. I traditionally do that about every around that time of the year. But listen, um, Karen's not feeling well this morning. You know, she had kind of had a partial complex seizure last Sunday night, and last night she wasn't feeling too well. So when I was uh, finishing up, taking the weenie dog out for his potty break and everything, I said, how you doing? She goes, I ain't going to make it. I said, that's all right, Mom. You can watch us online. And uh, she's all right. She's going to be all right. I'm going to get home to her. But I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Tomorrow's Christmas. Some of you all might be doing Christmas Eve with your family. We did our, I guess, Christmas Eve Eve with my oldest son and daughter-in-law and five uh, grandsons. We call them the Holstein Herd because they're five boys. 
and uh, we're going to call my daughter tonight at 6 up there in Minnesota. And uh, I've already sent a text to Joey because at 7.40 this morning, it was, it was 3.40 in the afternoon, Christmas in Djibouti, Africa. And I sent him a message. Now, he didn't respond because I'm sure he's on solid orders. You know, Djibouti's just right there at the bottom of the Red Sea, just south of Israel. So I don't know what he's doing, but he's guarding Camp Lemonier. And on that signal, he's got a little profile that says, it's a guy with a T-shirt that says, they trust me with a loaded weapon. So... Um, I'll tell you a story sometime when I took him to uh, the armory over there in Kuwaita. I'll tell you a story sometime. But let me pray for you, and thank you all for being here. Thank you for our guests. We've been having guests all the way from Dallas, you know, Dallas, Texas, and uh, and and uh, Jay and and Jasmine there, and the other two Jays and the one that's coming, and Miss Julie, another Jay. But uh, but it's good to be here, and. Um, Appreciate you all very much. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come to you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this wonderful narrative called the gospel, this story. And we thank you that you use that story form because that's how humans communicate through stories or through words, through pictures, through signs. And Father, that you would move in our midst as we close this year out at Calvary Baptist and we walk into the next. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing this song with me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me. Thy great salvation so full. See, you say rich, I say full and free. I knew I was going to mess the word up there somewhere. But anyway, but thank you all very much. A Merry Christmas. God bless you. Thank you.